Bet365 sponsors this podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sport. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. This app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only and please gamble responsibly. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to 1874, the podcast that will bring you the definitive word on the most frustrating team in the world, Aston Villa Football Club, every single week. Greg Evans, the Athletics Aston Villa writer, is with me as always. Now Greg, we've had a couple of up podcasts in a row, we, we got lucky, today's the down one, but how, how are you? Uh, I'm alright Dan actually, yeah, I've, uh, I've had a much more refreshed week actually, despite the defeat, um, but yeah, look, it's always better when we're talking and writing about victories and unfortunately this one's going to be a bit of a negative one, isn't it? Yeah, afraid so, afraid it is, let's, let's get on with it and let's hear what's coming up this week. Being at Bournemouth, what went wrong for Villa at Dean Court. We've got the great VAR debate. Greg and I are going to look back on some of the decisions that have gone against and for Villa this season so far. And then, as always, we'll finish with the Villa Vault. So, Greg, just as we were starting to feel good, Villa bring us back down to earth with a real bump, actually. I've got to say, I took this defeat quite badly on Saturday. Just I know we use this word a lot, but this one felt very, very frustrating. Yeah, it was. You just, I think we spoke in last week's pod, didn't we? And I was saying that what Villa needed to do was go to Bournemouth and not lose. I thought that was the most important thing. It wasn't necessarily about winning. Um, It was just about not losing. But the fact that they obviously lost... um, was just so disappointing and it was just some of the same problems again struggling to play against 10 men um, when Bournemouth obviously lost Jefferson Lerma who's a who's a walking red card isn't he um, oh, was, yeah. <laughs> you know every, every game I mean for those who haven't read it Peter Rutzler did a brilliant piece that our Bournemouth writer on um, just going back over all his yellow cards over his career and he's just you, you just always expect him to, to get booked or to get sent off and fortunately for Bournemouth you know that 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 sending off didn't affect them too much and they were mani- they managed to hold out and, and win the game. But for Villa, it was just so disappointing. Um, it was a game that I, I actually I actually fancied Villa going into the game. I thought that they'd, yeah. thought that they'd t- turn the corner against Burnley at the start of the season. The three men at the back were starting to work, but probably just one too many to ask for. But look, Villa was still out the relegation zone. It's not too... Uh, disappointing at this stage it, it just feels it because of the manner of the defeat yeah at one point the results actually had Villa in the bottom three but thankfully that there was a turn in the last 10 minutes or so which has kept us out so when you were saying about who's must not lose last week I was thinking no Greg we're, we're going to go there and, <laughs> and win I was really really confident I know Bournemouth had won their game previous but like you say I really really fancied us but you're talking about the same old mistakes the word I've got down here is erratic we were just so erratic defensively and just so careless and clumsy on the ball. We were, we were just asking for problems in the in the opening minutes. Yeah, it was it was a strange performance, really. I thought Bournemouth's, uh, I thought Eddie Howe's tactics of playing three men in the middle worked wonders. I thought they struggled in those midfield areas. Um, Courtney Hawes and Tyro Mings, in particular, were pretty poor with their dis- distribution. Um, which was, you know, quite surprising because Mings is always so calm and collected when he's on the ball. I think I don't like to say this because I know that he's a very, very strong character. Um, maybe the occasion on this day just played a part because just some of the some of his passes just weren't as crisp as usual. 
um, arguably needs to shoulder some of the blame for both of the goals. Um, yeah. And yeah, just just wasn't as quite as confident as assured as as recent as recent weeks. But look, every defender's entitled to a day off or so. Even Virgil Van Dijk has his days off, doesn't he? As we've seen this year, they're few, <laughs> not they're, often. They're few and far between, Dan. But you know, he he does have them. Um, and look, Mings has Mings has been a, a brilliant servant for Villa so far in the 12 months that he's been here it, it was an erratic performance in some ways I just thought you know you, you could use the word erratic in, in so many um, different aspects of the game erratic in the fact that they brought Trezeguet on and that meant that Jack Grealish dropped back deeper into Villa's uh, half when he's the most attacking player in the team and, and oh, that, that absolutely killed <laughs> and, us and that the absolutely that, just destroyed any momentum that we had that did you know so you, you could call it erratic with uh, Ramsdale's punch at uh, Bjorn Engels that wasn't given but we'll go on to uh, VAR later there, yeah. there was just there was all sorts wasn't there if you, if you look at Frederick Gilbert's passing distribution it was really poor I thought he had probably his worst game in the Villa shirt to be honest just didn't really do anything right and yeah, it was just it was just not a good performance overall, and to be to be honest, but Bournemouth deserved the win. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. They did deserve it. I don't think Villa could have any complaints at all. You were there. What what was the atmosphere like? Because I, I wanted Villa to get on the front foot, get on the ball early on, and try try and get the Bournemouth fans a bit edgy. But it never really happened. It, it felt like Bournemouth were, were up from, from the off. I've got to say, I thought Ryan Fraser was absolutely brilliant for them on the wing. I think he's had a bit of a difficult time this season. Transfer didn't go through. Perhaps his head hasn't been right. But unfortunately for Villa. His head was right at the weekend because I thought he was the best player on the park. But just the, the whole atmosphere of Bournemouth, that they pressed us, they got the fans behind them and Villa couldn't get out, could they, in the opening stages? No, it was a really difficult opening to the game. Um, pr- pr- previous, to, you know, just before the game, there was a little bit of tension and nerves. You know, I was speaking to some of the Bournemouth fans um, and they were really, really worried and concerned. Uh but what they what they do so well there at the Vitality Stadium is, is get behind the team, and if they get off to a decent start, that crowd can pull them through. You know, it's only a very small crowd there, but it's quite you know very close to the um, close to the pitch. The fans really get behind them. They were booing Mings uh, early in the game. It just felt like a almost like a siege mentality. You know, everyone pulling together, uh, and the, and the way they celebrated at the end, the players you know with all the fans staying behind just showed that. And that's what Bournemouth have got to do. You know, they've they've got to all pull together because. Because they're such a you know a small club with um, you know a small fan base, um, but they got out the blocks flying and you know they they really they really made it hard for Villa as I said those three in midfield were just chipping away Billing and Lerma were were excellent for you know while while at least while Lerma was on the pitch anyway um, and uh, they had an attacking threat. With, with Fraser breaking from the wing and, and obviously Wilson causing Mings and Horse quite a few problems. So it was just a tough opening for them. Um, I thought every time Samata got on the ball quite early, uh, he looked p- promising, but just didn't see enough of the ball. Nakamba and Louise, obviously a disadvantage man-wise in, in the first half in that Bournemouth played that three in the middle lot, you've said, and we were there with the two. Just never got to grips with with it in midfield, did, did we at all? And we, we just never held onto the ball. I, I didn't feel like we had the ball for the first half an hour, and then just as we started to grow into the game, we shipped. Yeah, they, they were very careless in possession. They, they didn't manage the ball well when they were in possession. Didn't didn't get forward enough. Didn't get into those attacking areas to to hurt Bournemouth. Um, I looked at the two centre backs. Okay, Nathan Ake, he's, he's decent, but I just thought Simon Francis. You know, there will, there will be a chance to potentially get at him and Adam Smith down the yeah. at, at uh, right back. But they, they just didn't do enough. I mean, Grealish hardly touched the ball in the first thirty minutes, which is always a bad sign because obviously he's you know. The, the most important player 
and there just wasn't enough support that the forward the, the fallbacks weren't getting forward um Matt Target looked tired after the you know his exertions in in the in the cup game Grealish and Target were brilliant in the cup game but there was none of that combination um and uh, yeah it was just a, it was just a really difficult difficult start and, and a difficult end do you think that's an excuse a little bit that Villa have obviously played on Tuesday they will have put a lot into the game on Tuesday night against Leicester they had to, to to come out and win that game whereas Bournemouth have had oh no they played in the week as well didn't they Bournemouth played, they played on Monday night they played didn't they, Monday yeah, in, the, in the FA Cup yeah. Yeah, so, yeah so that Bournemouth looked fresh but but we didn't yeah I think I think in defence to, to to Bournemouth they did rest a few players um, uh, yeah. yeah Villa pretty much had the well they had the same team didn't they Villa uh, yeah, except, except, except for the, the goalkeeper so um, no I don't think it's an excuse I think that football players uh, should be should be fit enough to, to get through two lots of 90 minutes in five days um, Villa, had fu- Villa had a full seven day break before that so no it's not an excuse um, you know it, there's no hiding behind the fact that some of them did look tired it's certainly not an excuse. As I go back to, it's still not a big deal, you know. At this stage, still thirteen games to go. Villa are out the relegation zone, so you know Dean Smith and his players are doing the job they've asked them to do at the moment. I don't know whether I agree with you there. I, I, I see see what you're saying, but there's only so many games where we can keep where we can keep saying, "Oh, this this defeat doesn't matter. We still we still got our heads above water." But like you said, we could have been three points off tenth if we'd have won that game, and you'd feel like then we're dragging more teams into the relegation scrap because that's what you want. You want eight or nine teams to be involved. You don't want it to be like oh, it's going to be three from five. Do you? You don't, you don't want that to happen. I think Saturday was a massive missed opportunity and. I think it's. I don't think any defeat has annoyed me. It's maybe with the exception to the Arsenal away game because we just gave them so much respect with ten men. But I really feel like that was a missed opportunity on Saturday because we've given Bournemouth six points this season, and I don't think they've had to do much to get those six points. No, they haven't. It's it's a good point to be fair. You know, Bournemouth are a struggling side, and the fact that Villa have. It lost easily to both on both games is frustrating. I think Villa's away form is an issue. That you know they've got the worst away form in the oh, division. It's a massive problem. Still got to play two of the top three teams um, in the division away from home, and there's what, only six six away games left. Is there? So you know they've got some It'd really something like some that. Really tough away games coming up, um, and some really crucial ones as well. But. It was a, it was a missed opportunity, but I just think as long as Villa, I know this sounds boring, but as long as Villa are outside the bottom three, for me, that's that's their job done. You know, as long as they just keep keep staying above water, that's all they've got to do this season. And judging by the what I would describe as disappointing deadline day, you know, they're 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 pretty hamstrung by what they've got because Keenan Davis is now injured. Borja Baston um, is a player who has struggled in the Championship and he's now going to be asked to be a backup striker in the Premier League. Um, and Alisson Matter has only just signed, so he can't put all the pressure on him. So for me, it's, this is a case of 13 games now. Villa have got to just try and get enough points to stay up. You know, simple as that. I, I, I'm, I'm not looking at Villa bringing others, you know, bring, bringing mid-table teams um, into the re- you know back into the reckoning and trying to force their way up towards mid-table. It's a case of they're in a they're in a big big relegation battle and need to just get enough points to keep them up. You've talked me around a, a little bit, but I think I'm still <laughs> of, of, the, of the mindset that I feel like every week. Come on, Dan, get on board. We, it's no, a relegation battle. No, I know I agree with you. It's a hundred percent a relegation battle. But every, every time we lose, I feel like we've kind of got this mentality of. I, it, it doesn't matter. We're not in the relegation zone, or oh, we should. You wouldn't expect to win away from home anyway. But you know what? At some point, 
we're gonna have to string something together away from home because the, the form is, is abhorrent how many, how many games have we won this season away from home it's not many is it two yeah it's, it's not good is it and because we haven't picked up the freak results going going through the season at some point we are we are gonna have to win a big game as well and I'm being glass half empty. Obviously, you're being glass half full at the moment. But I just thought Saturday is a real, real missed chance. Just just talk through the goals because I thought both goals were poor. Yeah, they were both disappointing goals to concede. Really, um, you know, very to, similar. Yeah, I mean, to, you know, for, for balls into the box. Mings doesn't clear. Uh, Ming, Mings makes the foul with the first goal, doesn't he? And then he doesn't clear yeah. for the second goal. The Campbell was caught ball watching for the first goal, and you know, it just it, to me it just showed how Bournemouth were a little bit more ready and a bit more, you know, on it. That they just seemed more intense and and more willing to put Villa away on the day, and and they did, you know. They, they, Okay, there were two clinical finishes in the end, but they were pretty easy, weren't they? I mean, the camber just gave Bill in so much space, and he just slotted home, and then obviously Ake uh, pounced when Villa just couldn't defend. So they were disappointing to watch, and you know when when the players go through that in the debrief, that they'll be frustrated with themselves as well because you know that you can't really concede goals like that regularly else. You know you're going to end up going down. Yeah, I mean, I've waxed lyrical about Mings for pretty much 12 months. Every Villa fan loves him. I obviously love him, but I've got to say, I, was, I thought the free kick was silly. It, it, it was needless. I don't don't think he needed to do it. And for the second one, his clearance is just so, so rash. He, he's involved twice, like, like you say. It just matches that whole thing of intensity. I felt like Bournemouth played with intensity in their press and they carried on that intensity into their attacking play as well. But when they had the ball reacting first, Villa, Villa not sharp. I mean, I think Rainer should possibly do better for the second as well. I think he's palmed it back into a, a dangerous area when he really should be looking to shovel it away. It's just another catalogue of errors from Villa. And once you've let in one goal from a second phase off a, off a set play, just don't do it again and they've got this habit of conceding either just before half time or just after half time and it's these bad habits that they need to eradicate isn't it Greg? Yeah definitely you know they need to learn from their mistakes I think in defence of this Villa team they, they have learned from a lot of their mistakes this season. We've been better recently yeah. I, I can acknowledge that. I think I think some of the problems you know some of the patterns the worrying problems that have that have developed over the season they have actually made amends you know at the start of the season they were struggling to hold on to leads they kind of got over that now they've shown that they can fight to the end and and get goals late on which they previously haven't done in Premier League seasons um, yeah I, I just I think they've, they've worked on some of the things that have been disappointing and and, and have improved but it's a raw feeling now because they've just lost a game and, and they haven't got you know another game until the 16th so but you know in the grand scheme of things it's just one defeat for me and I, I just think it's it's just one defeat and then it's more of a concern in the weeks ahead if the defeats continue but I just think this Villa, show, uh, Villa side have, have shown enough fight enough grit enough determination and resilience over the course of the season already to to make me believe that that they can stay up and they will stay up and they will get enough results um, in the final 13 games of the season. A good point that you made, and, and I think I've, I've said it in previous articles I've written or previous podcasts, is that they just haven't had a, a surprise result in the Premier League. And, you know, that, that, that needs to change in the games ahead now. They've got Tottenham at home next. You know, what a perfect opportunity to, to get a result um, that they're not really expected to get and... and, and and take them up the table a little bit because that's got to change, hasn't it, in the week's ahead? 
Yeah, I mean, I felt like Spurs were, were struggling a little bit, and then obviously <laughs> they're going beat Man City yeah. the week before they're going to play Villa. Bournemouth were struggling; they won the week before they, they were going to play <laughs> Villa as well. So, so now I feel like that result might have galvanised Spurs a little bit. But at this point, the Bournemouth fans are, are singing if Tyrone Mings plays for England. So can I? Jack goes close right on half time. Ramsdale somehow keeps the ball out with with his feet. It's kind of just hit him really and trickled across the goal and not got in. But Dean Smith's looking visibly frustrated at this point at half time. He's waiting in the tunnel for the officials. What, what was it that, I mean, I think we've got bigger problems than the officials in the first half, if I'm being honest. What, what do you think he was waiting for there? Yeah, I'm not sure actually, because I was very close to Dean Smith. Because of the, um, the setup at Bournemouth, the, the press box is just behind the, the dugout, so you know, you're really close to the manager. Um, I could see him getting a bit worked up during the game, but I actually thought, as especially as the game went on, that um, I thought the referees and the officials had a really, really bad game. Um, that, that they were just stupid decisions for, for both sides, and I thought, I actually thought Villa, bent, apart from the Engels punching the head from, from Ramsdale, which is just inexcusable and incredible. I actually thought the, the ref gave a lot of sort of soft fouls and challenges in Villa's favour, and you know, the, the home crowd are getting quite wound up by that. Um, yeah, but Dean Smith was chipping away at, at the linesman who was close to him. I'm not actually sure what it what it was that was frustrating him. You know, I, I didn't see that he was pictured, you know, waiting in the yeah, he was definitely uh, waiting in, in, in the in the dugout. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't see that, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm not sure what what his issue was because he, he certainly didn't mention it in his in his press duties after. Okay. Just after half time, I mean Bournemouth. To be fair to them, they picked up where they left off. Pretty much, they they started off on, on the on the front foot. Lerma managed to hit the bar, and then a soft sending off for him. I would say I think that second booking's very very harsh. Yeah, you'd be frustrated if it was a Villa player, wouldn't you? Um, oh, absolutely. I just think that if you're on a yellow card, you, you know you're walking that tightrope, aren't you? So it's just down to the player to to keep his discipline. And, and, and as we know, Lerma just hasn't got that discipline. Yeah, that's why he's been booked so many times in his career. And then you think right. 10 men, whole half to go here, this is it. And then suddenly you remember, oh, this has happened a number of times number of times before. Seven times I think now Villa have played against 10 men for, for, for long periods of games and we've only come out with, with four points from those games. I know you spoke about it before, but it's a, it's a disturbing pattern. Like any other team, you think when, a te- when the opposition goes down to 10 men, you're buzzing. And obviously we did get, did get a goal back, but didn't go on and, and, and win the game or even take a point from the game like, what is it about this 10 men thing yeah it's, it's, a, it's a worry isn't it actually it's a worry a concern and it's quite frustrating if, you, if you're a supporter watching on because you know you get quite you get quite excited when a when a uh, an opposing team's player gets gets sent off because you, you think that it should be an advantage but for some reason it just seems like it's a disadvantage for Villa um, it's psychological now a little bit for Villa isn't it because it's happened so many yeah, times possibly I just think you know, I'm try- I was trying to put it into words over, over the weekend. I mean, what I would say is that when I spoke to Ramsdale, the goalkeeper at Bournemouth, and he said that in training that Eddie Howe prepares them so they're ready for 10 men. Um, that's not necessarily because they know Lerma's as <laughs> I've Lerma, but, I was going to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's just a, you know, a, a genuine thing anyway. But um, so, so that team was fully equipped to play you know, against 11 men. Um, and, and they did that admirably to be fair but Villa have now played against 10 men I think 6 or 7 times is it 7 you said that 7 yeah, I think it is se- yeah. 7 times so um, the only 4 time, points is not a good return no no and the only times they've, they've won the game is against Brighton and Brighton were miles better than them 
it's yeah, like, it's just bizarre. You know, it's the perf- although the results are, are the most obviously important. The performances against Temin are the most worrying because they can't they can't seem to dominate. I think when they go down to ten men, Jack Grealish tries to do too much on his own. Um, That's interesting. I think that, it, and then because they've got so many players behind the ball, he's trying to find these you know clever passes to pick out other teammates, and his teammates are, are letting him down a little bit because you know they're not giving him the right options. Uh, I think that Villa don't move the ball side to side quick enough. When you sure, I mean you know I play very very low level football, but if I've got a man advantage. The, the first thing I'm told to do is pass to my teammates, spread the play, quickly move it, and just wear the opponents down. Villa just didn't seem to do that, uh, and haven't seemed to do that. I mean, look, there's, there's way more detail that goes into it than that. That's not the only issue, um, and you've got to give the opponents credit as well. But yeah, it, it's something that Dean Smith couldn't really um, couldn't really answer the last time I asked him. I, I didn't didn't ask him after the Bournemouth game, but. Previously, you fancy it? Yeah, <laughs> previously he didn't. If that if that occurs again, it'll be something that you know I'll be I'll be asking the manager about. Yeah, because we like you say we don't move the ball quick enough, but we obviously started to dom- dominate possession and have a lot of the ball, and we we did make chances. We got we got the goal fr- from Samata Villa's first headed goal of the season, which in February is absolute madness. I, I can't believe that. But before that, the penalty we've talked about it a little bit. What's going on? That how can that not be a penalty? Yeah, it's. it's Penalty, isn't it? You know, that's what, surely that's what VAR's there for, and you know, it's probably a good oh, time yeah, to, start, a joke, to start talking about it. But you know, it's just we've all seen it, we've all seen the highlights. Ramsdale clearly punt, you know, I don't know if he necessarily meant it, but he, you know, he did it, no. so he did it, and, it, and it's a penalty. So, why has I'm sure a lot of late challenges are, aren't meant, yeah, exactly. You know, that's but what they, I mean, that's what VAR's there for, surely. It's to make it's to make these decisions, you know, that uh, it's to make these. You know, make sure you get the right decision. Okay, there's always going to be a, you know a chance that you don't get it right, but that's a glaring penalty in my view. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we got away with one in the in the cup on on Tuesday with Nakamba. That I'm, I'm unsure. I think that should probably have been have been a penalty. But if this, I'm being this completely point, honest, you know, this this is the point I'm trying to make with VAR. Though, yeah, you know, sorry, sorry to put in down, but it's like it's all right. Sure, <laughs> podcast as well. <laughs> it's like they're two wrong decisions in two games. Nakamba yeah. should have been. Nakamba's handball should have been a penalty, and so should have uh, Ramsdale's foul on on Engel. So what the hell's going on? Why aren't they getting these decisions right? Yeah, if a player makes a light challenge with his foot, it's given as a penalty. The goalkeeper can obviously use his hands. He's made a light challenge, albeit with his hands. If the goalkeeper comes out and goes through him with his feet, I'm pretty sure a penalty would be given. So I don't see why it's different for hands. He hasn't got the ball. He's punched him in the face. For me, it's a penalty. But we did we did get the goal. Through, through some matter, shades of Dwight York a little bit. Oh, I thought because he's not he's not the biggest, but Dwight York always used to score score a few headers as well as well for Villery. He, he looked lively, Samata. I thought in the first half he was our best player. Yeah, I thought he looked decent. You know, on his Premier League debut to get a goal. Okay, they lost and spoke to him after the game. He, he wasn't best pleased because of the result, but you know, fair play to him. He's, he's got that duck off his back now. He scored and took his chance. And it's just incredible, really. You know, I've been writing for for days about his heading ability and the fact that Villa hasn't scored a single headed goal all season, and then he goes and scores the first one. You know, just, that's that's what that's what he paid the money for, really. <laughs> yeah, he got some ser- serious airtime in there. And to be fair, after what Ramsdale's just done to Engels as well, yeah, quite brave, brave as well. Yeah. He was a brave header. So Keenan Davis was on at this point as well, and I'm starting to think then all oh, those two look look good up front. Jack's playing as a ten, Louise and the Camber behind, and we've we've still kept the, the back three and the wing backs. I'm thinking that oh, there's there's the start of something there. Davis has obviously gone and got injured 
on Monday night playing for, for the under-23s. Just quick, quickly wanted to ask you, what did you, did you make of him playing for the under-23s? Is that a risk that we needed to take? What I would say on... I can understand why fans get quite frustrated at this, but what you got to think is Villa would have probably, with this break, Villa would have probably had a behind-closed-door game anywhere. So it's like... Yeah, it, it's not an issue for me. He needs to get it's a short he gap. Needs to get That's my problem with it. I, I expect. I, I don't know because I wasn't at the game, but I expect he would have only been given forty-five to sixty minutes. And because you know that sometimes, sometimes Dean Smith will will put will make two teams together out of the um, out of the you know the current first team and the 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 development team. And those games will be very very high intensity. You know, just like the an under twenty-three game. So. Listen, Keenan Davies got injured, but he could have got injured tomorrow. He could have got injured the next day. No, you know, no, it's I not, accept that. It's not. It's not the fact that he played that. He needed the minutes. Could have started, couldn't he, against um, against Bournemouth? But you know, he only he's done he only well played. in the two games. He's come on. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought he did well. I just I've, I feel sorry for him in a way because when a player gets injured, there's nothing really they can do. You know, I know he works so hard to get to get his body right, and it, it's just failing him at the moment. It, it keeps I feel I feel sorry for him because this is, this is an opportunity for him to play. I worry that he's lo- he's going to lose his opportunity here by just not not being able to stay fit. That final sub as well you've, you've talked about, we've suddenly got a bit of momentum and I was watching thinking, well, we're definitely going to score her. I really fancy us. We're looking good recreating chances. And then Grealish is at the heart of all this. But I've got to say, I found that last sub bizarre because he's brought Trezeguet on. And he's essentially moved Grealish back into a midfield too. And Grealish is then forced to play so, so deep that we've just eradicated all effect he was having. At that point, he was running the game. To move him then, just it seemed senseless to me. Dean Smith will know why, why he did it. Dean Smith's a better football manager than I am. Dean Smith knows more about football than I do. But I, I just didn't make sense to me. As soon as he did it, it didn't make sense. And then just watching the game unfold, it kind of petered out after that. Mm, yeah, it was frustrating just seeing Grealish drop deeper because, as I say, you know he's the, he's the creative force, isn't he? And uh, Trezeguet just didn't really have much of an impact either. No, I genuinely can't remember Trezeguet touching the ball. I mean, I'm sure he, he probably did, but it felt like we had no real system when, when Trezeguet came on. I mean, what did you make of us sticking with the three at the back and the wing-backs? Were you surprised at that, playing against 10 men for so long? Would you have thought one of the defenders might have come off? There's always the risk of conceding again, isn't there? But Villa were a goal down with 10 minutes or so remaining. Just think that's the time to to really give it a good go and try and get the equaliser. But you know, it didn't happen. Maybe maybe Smith will change his um, you know his uh, his tactics next time if it, if it gets to that. Now you may have noticed on Monday a little bonus podcast came out as well from when Greg and I went to see Thomas Hitzelsberger in Marbella a few weeks ago. Part one came out on Monday and part two is going to follow on the following Monday. It's, it's a three-part, so it's, it's a really good listen. Thomas is such an interesting and engaging guy. If you haven't listened to it, here's Thomas talking about the gaffer. I always tell people when and say in, in England, the expression gaffer, what it means. And I think nowadays when you look at managers in, in, in England, especially foreign managers, I wouldn't call them gaffer. Maybe I'm wrong. But John Gregory is a gaffer that was my experience you know i heard the expression for the first time like what does that mean gaffer gaffer and you can't just say to him he's a manager or sometimes they say boss but he's a gaffer that's when i think of a gaffer it's john gregory his authority i could you know i could see him watching from the first half from the stands and then during the second half he would walk down and was like going up and getting really excited um i thought he's a great character um, it was a great introduction for me into English football because that was really English football. So 
So, Greg, I don't know whether you saw the piece in The Athletic. I mean, I'd hope that you would you would see the piece on The Athletic from Michael Cox and Rafa Honigstein about VAR off, off the back of the, the Spurs and Man City farce at the weekend. Basically, them giving the pros and cons. So, Rafa's giving the pros of VAR and why it should stay, and Michael is dead set on getting rid of it. What are your thoughts? I don't think me and you have ever talked about VAR, <laughs> even off podcast. I don't think we've ever discussed it. Where do you sit with it? <laughs> no, I, do you know what? I really try and avoid the, the topic, actually. It just it, it frustrates me because every time I turn on the radio or every time I turn on the TV, there's someone talking about it or I'm reading about it. I actually really enjoyed Michael and Rafa's piece. I thought that they both both put some really valid points forward. And <laughs> because it was a scrap VAR in, in the first half of the piece, and, and I read it and I thought, yeah, right, that's got to go. I'll totally agree yes, with exactly the then, same as me but exactly then when I read Rafa's piece I thought do you know what there's actually some very valid points there and I probably don't think it should go so I'm totally still sitting on the fence obviously I've got some thoughts and opinions on it but I think that for me the overriding thought is that I would keep it purely because it stops or at least reduces um, the chances of an official getting a decision really really badly wrong um, and I just, I hate to see, you know, when there's a really bad, bad decision that the referee's got horribly wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, I just like an identity. Yeah, just just something, you know, stupid that, that, that VAR would easily um, change. I just think is good for that because that could be a really, you know, season-defining moment for somebody and it's just horrible. Um, so so that's my overriding thought on, on VAR, but I think there are some issues. I think offsides are a bit of a sticking point, you know. I look back to that. They're the worst. It's the Burnley game, isn't it? When you look back to the Burnley yeah. game and, where, you know... Where I mean, Michael leaned, Michael leaned heavily on that, didn't he? He leaned heavily yeah. on that and he talked about Tyrone Mings not being able to celebrate against Man U because it has felt, especially at the start of the season... It felt like Villa were on the end of a, a lot of terrible, terrible decisions. But I've gone through the games, Greg, and I was actually surprised at how how little impact VAR has had on the game. So I've got it down here as impacting 10 out of 25 games. So Is that four so, run against? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, a mixture. Yeah. That's a mishmash of the two. So first game of the season, Spurs, John McGinn, they looked at it. To me, I think it was probably a penalty, but I can see why, why they didn't disagree with the referee in that instance. You've got the Bournemouth game where I think Billing should have been sent off, but VAR can't really do anything about that. So I feel that's a sticking point with VAR is that it doesn't necessarily look at the right things. Palace, we didn't even get a chance to use VAR because the Lansbury goal, the referee just blew up at a, a farcical time and that was a farcical decision. That's the worst this was, one, isn't it? The Palace yeah, one. Out there. Yeah, and then this was the period where I felt like we had a run of refereeing and VAR howlers. So you had the Arsenal, the handball from Conor Harahan shot. And the fact that they didn't pick up on the issue with the wall in the Arsenal away game. So that was a couple of things that went against Villa there. Burnley, a marginal offside, but I accept that, that they happened. Harahan was offside. McGingold got disallowed. I mean, Harahan must hate VAR because all they seem to be against him. The Brighton game at home, we got done for a Wesley foul on the goalkeeper. But then a month or so later, a, a similar event happens in another Premier League game and the goal doesn't get disallowed. So I think that was a joke. Liverpool, we had one where Firmino, he really should have, that goal should have stood. That was a marginal offside and the offsides are problems. Sheffield United, we got a handball penalty that, that wasn't going to get given and did get given. So VAR worked well there, but though, of course, this is Villa. We missed the penalty. <laughs> the Burnley joke we've discussed and the Bournemouth joke at the weekend we've discussed as well. But there was a period of time where it felt like the VAR and the officiating was really costing Villa at the start of the season, Greg. 
Yeah, I certainly felt that. It felt like a period where we just seemed to be talking about it with Dean Smith after every game, and you could see him visibly getting frustrated and angry about you know angry about talking about it. And it's almost got to the stage now where he literally just jokes about VAR. It feels like you know when you, okay, when you go through it, there is there are quite a few there, but they haven't actually been that bad. It's died off a little bit recently. Against them. Yeah, but clearly, you know, it's it's still it's still paining Dean Smith because he, he keeps making these sort of like little jokes about VAR. You know, against, against Bjorn Engels, for example, he said, "Oh, well, you know, Ramsdale's come out, he's punched him in the face, but VAR doesn't like to check that one." You know, it's it's little yeah, things like that. You know, he's clearly frustrated and angered by it, and which he would, you know, the fine margins. Are, I mean, his job's on the line. Effectively, you could get, yeah, yeah. you know, you could get. One decision could go against you that's wrong and, you know, you could lose your job. I mean, I know that sounds dramatic, but that is how football works. It's fine margins. So, yeah, I, I personally feel like it's died off a little bit. I feel that start of the season, Villa were getting a lot hard luck. But it's not it's not one of these things where you say, uh, oh, it evens itself out over the course of the season because it probably doesn't, does it? No, and at the end of the, the, end of the day... If Villa are going close last last to relegation, last game of the season, playing West Ham, which could obviously be a big game, you just know VAR will do something stupid, and that could send a team down, and that that's unforgivable for me. I I completely side with my, Michael Cox. I I want it gone. The main reason is for me is that it's ruining the experience of being at games at Villa Park, especially when I'm at Villa Park, when you score a goal, I'm not celebrating, and that is the whole reason why you go to the football to enjoy mo- enjoy moments, celebrate goals. Every time we score, I jump up initially, and then I think, oh, there could be could be an offside there. The goal against Leicester the other night in the, in the League Cup, I was convinced Greenish was going to be offside in the, in the lead up to it. His armpit offside. <laughs> I, I can't be doing with the shoelaces offside, armpits offside, Jack Grealish's hair offside. I just, I just can't be doing with it, and I, I've just had enough of it. And it it's tarnished the returns to the Premier League a little bit for me. I can totally understand that, you know, from a supporter. I'm quite lucky. I sit in the press box. It doesn't always affect me too much because I don't celebrate the goals. But I think from a supporter's point of view, it's it's horrendous because it's the one thing, you know, as a football fan, you go you go to do, you go to have that release of, you know, that euphoric feeling when, when you when you score a goal. And to take that away from supporters is just horrible because that's what football's all about for me, going there, enjoying it, um, you know, and celebrating when your team scores. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure Rafa won't care, but I'd, I'd already made up my mind just from reading Michael Cox's piece. Cause it, He's a he thick just saying, guy, Rafa, he won't mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael was just saying everything that I feel like I've been saying all season. And the fact that Villa was used for two of the examples just tipped it, tipped it off for me. I was unsurprised to see that Villa were used as the example of the bad of VAR. If you haven't checked out that piece by Michael Cox and Rafa Honigstein yet, then make sure you, you do go and check it out on the Athletic website because it is an interesting read. Like me, you might have made up your mind already, but do look at it because it does look at the argument from both sides. Greg, we're going to finish, as always, with the Villa Vault. I don't know whether you saw it on Sunday. Mika Richards, the old Villa hero, was on a match of the day, match of the day too and he started talking about Remy Gard. He basically said out the blue from nowhere, if Tim Sherwood had stayed at Villa in that 2015-2016 season, he reckoned we would have stayed up. And I just, you were at every game that season. I was at every home game that season. I just want to know your thoughts on that because I think he's miles off it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think I think Mick is... Pro- 
probably got a um, a bit of an agenda there. I think you know he didn't like he certainly didn't like Remy Gard. I know some of the other uh, players. A few didn't. Yeah, Gabriel Bonlahor certainly didn't, and quite quite a few of them have come out and openly said that they just didn't. You know, they didn't like Gard. So maybe it's an easy thing to say because Tim Sherwood was the manager previously to him. Whether he was specifically praising Sherwood's qualities or the fact that. Remy Gard had taken over from simply a man who happened to be Sherwood. Um, I don't know, but I think Villa would have stood a much better chance of staying up if Sherwood is in charge. I, I liked him, you know. I thought he, I thought he was, I thought he was good for the club when he when he kept the club up. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure about the long term whether, you know, whether. It, I just think it was such a it was a toxic place to be at Villa at that time. There was too many. Um, it was Tim Sherwood with his views. And then it was Paddy Riley, Hendrick Armstrong, and Tom Fox with their views as well. You know, it just it wasn't working. If it was cohesive, and if um, Tim Sherwood was allowed to buy his players, maybe. But he was having to pick players who just who weren't the players that he wanted to buy. Jordan Vera, to okay, he's going to be brilliant. Um, you know, he just wasn't wasn't ready at the time. He just wasn't a good enough player. Um, and there were so many examples, weren't there? So, I mean, he, look, look, he might have been right, but we'll never know, will we? No, he made some really big statements against Remy Guard. Actually, he said he didn't understand what the Premier League was about. I mean, talking of Tim Sherwood, I don't think we could have done much worse than 17 points that season. If, if Tim had stayed, I would probably imagine we'd have got more than 17. But in my opinion, from day one, that's, that squad was built to go down. I just, I think it was a mishmash of players. And like you say, players have gone on to do good stuff since... I didn't think Sherwood's boys were great in defence of Remy Gard a little bit. He was having to work with people like Lescott and Gested, who I don't think suited what Remy Gard wanted. Gard alienated Grealish as well. So just the whole season was just a disaster. But I just thought that was a really interesting thing for him to, him to come out and, and be so confident and, and say that. Yeah, interesting. And uh, we will uh, we'll see what more he has to say as a pundit in the times ahead. Yeah, he's, a, he's certainly on TV a lot at the moment. That'll do us for this week, Greg. Thanks very much for, for joining me as per. I enjoyed talking to you, but I enjoy talking to you more when Villa win games. <laughs> me too, Dan. Cheers, mate. Thanks for everyone for listening as well. Remember, for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code VILLAPOD. Thanks ever so much for listening to 1874. Up the Villa.